Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I'm just really excited about what God's doing in and, and through so many people and, and so thankful um, just for the time that we get to live in. You know, a lot of the people right now are freaking out. They're just, you know, the world's getting so dark. And, 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 and there is truth. And our hearts should be broken as we look around and see the world around us and see that, that people are truly each going after their own way, like the Bible talks about. But there should be an excitement that rises in our hearts too. Because if I know God at all from reading about what He's done in history and what He's done in my life, when things around us get, get darker, we just shine more and more brightly. And, and we have the answer inside of us. We're not like those who are left as orphans. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you guys like orphans. You're not going to wander around not knowing what's going on. You're not going to wander around like orphans lost without a father. But the Holy Spirit will come and He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. And so as things around us grow a little bit darker and dimmer, the light inside of us just shines brighter. And it's really an exciting time to be alive because right now, more than ever, we need the power of God to be manifest and demonstrated through His bride here on earth. More than ever. And what, what better time to be open and available and say yes to God than right now, than right here. Yeah, so it's exciting to me. Um, it's our family service this, this Sunday, every fifth Sunday. We have all the kids in with us except for the infants. We have the infant nursery open. So, um, But real quick before we get started, Matt, just stand up real quick. Yeah, no. You, yeah, he'd hate this and shake his head no. I just want us to thank him for what he did last week. I'm serious. <laughs> Do the old Jesus dance, you know, like the old paintings. <laughs> <laughs> we do that to each other sometimes. We'll be eating, just look at each other and be like. But no, so many people told me how blessed they were by the message you spoke and, and just by the service last week. So I just want to say thank you. I really do appreciate it. And, and you don't have to say it's all God. I know. You know, it's, cra- <laughs> it's crazy because we have this urge inside of us sometimes when people compliment us on something to say, oh, it was all God, as if to just say thank you somehow demeans. Listen, one of two things, okay? Either, either this, there's one of two things going on. When somebody acknowledges or thanks you or tells you how well you did something that God's called you to do, there's one of two things going on. One, they understand the heart of the Father. They're born again. And so they know that when they say that to you, all they're doing is appreciating you allowing God to use you the way that He did. Two, they're not born again, and they think that it was you. And when you look at them and say, well, it wasn't me, it was God, they have no clue what you're talking about. They really don't. And, and if God leads you to, to have a discussion with them and talk to them about you know, the God in you and all that, but, but here's the thing. It, you're not being prideful and you're not being arrogant to simply just say thank you. And acknowledge the fact that they came up and took time out of their day to come and thank you and encourage you. And then when you get alone, you just reflect that back to God. Father, I thank you that men see me, see you in my life. God, I thank you that they recognize your giftings operating in me. And I'm so humbled and honored to be used by you here in this earth. And to get to live this life and to get to be used by you. And I just want to take this and lay this at your feet, Father. Father. And I ask that you continue to use me 
Continue to flow through me. Continue to lead me and guide me. Make me look more like you, God, so that everywhere I go, people see you in me. And I'm thankful and I'm humbled and I'm honored. And that's not prideful. It's not arrogant. It's actually learning to receive something so that you have something to lay at His feet. I used to struggle with that. Like when I first started pastoring for a long time, when people would say, man, that was really good or something. You know, you... It was like this obligatory, well, it was, oh yeah, it was all God. It wasn't all God. It would have been even better, for one. Right? I played a part in messing it up a little. But, but the other thing is, is like, let's just be able to understand and know, and, and let's just believe the best about each other. That they see the Father in you, and they're thanking you for being obedient and being used. And if that's not their intention, well then, if they came to flatter you, they came to try to puff you up, they came to try to exalt you, it doesn't work because you receive it in the best way and you receive it in a way that that can't happen and then you reflect that back to the Father. And so no matter what their motive was in coming and complimenting you, you can turn it into praise for Him and receive it purely. Yeah. So, um, I got two things in front of me right now. I got First John or, or John 15, and I have Galatians 4:1, and they're both screaming. Um, maybe, maybe I'll, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> maybe I'll just talk a little bit about John 15, and then get over to Galatians, um, and maybe they'll tie together, and then maybe they won't. But <laughs> um, Jesus was talking to his disciples. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 15. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll go here for a little bit. Okay. Um, This is Jesus talking to his disciples. The, the, la- the end of John, John 15, 16, 17, are just some of the most amazing chapters in, 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 in the Scripture. I mean, they're all amazing, but it's Jesus kind of boiling everything down. You know, they, 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 it's, he's coming to the end of his ministry here on earth with the disciples physically walking with them. And it's like he starts to really highlight some things and speak really plainly to them. He talks to ask Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? You know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're prophet, some say you're a good man. Well, who do you say that I am? Surely you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus gets excited and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father. And I say that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And what was he saying? On the rock of revelation received from my Father, not by knowledge of men, I'm going to build my church. He, w- he wasn't saying, Peter, I'm building my church on you. He was saying, Peter, on this principle, that flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, that's the cornerstone. Revelation from heaven is the cornerstone I'm going to build my church upon. And so... And it says he began to talk to them plainly after that. And he's, so now he's starting to really just kind of pour out some things to them. And, and no longer is he talking to them in, in, in you know, parables they can't understand. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that, they may, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God, I, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit, for your presence in this place, God. 
I thank you for the hunger that you're igniting inside of each and every one of our hearts, God. I just right now, just I believe and declare fresh hunger inside of the heart of every single person sitting in here. God, that any dry place would be so full of oil. God, that any cracked and barren land would be flooded with the river of your love. God, that there would be a hunger stirred up inside of each and every one of us. God, for that sweet taste that we have in our mouths right now, just being able to join our voices and our hearts together and worship you, that that would carry us into a place, God, of just desiring more. It would never be about saying, wow, that was good, but it would be about saying, wow, he's so good, I want more of him. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so Jesus is talking, and, and, and uh, I want to talk about this for a second because I feel like maybe um, there's some, some things that, that we uh, go through in life and, and we'll sometimes say, well, you know, it's just a pruning season. How many of you guys have ever gone through a really hard season and said, I'm just going through a pruning season? Come on, it's okay. I'm not going to point yet. Yeah, wait. How many of you guys have done that and said you're in a pruning or wilderness season? Come on. All right. There we go. Okay, so everybody has. It's okay. Right? Because maybe there was some of that going on. But, but I feel like there, if by doing that, the thing that we do is, how many of us when we're going through a great season of our lives say, I'm just in a pruning season? But Jesus said, <laughs> the two in the back that are like, we're going to be on the right team on this one. <laughs> no, really, they probably have this revelation, right? But Jesus said that if you bear fruit, that he prunes. So, it's the ones who are actually budding and flowering that he's pruning. And because that word prune is used there, a lot of times we, we kind of mistake what that means. But that word prune there, he uses again in a few sentences. He says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Then he said, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. The word prune and the word clean are the same word in the original language. So what is he saying? He's saying, every branch that's bearing fruit, my Father cleans so that it can bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the Word which I've spoken to you. So here's what he's saying. He's not saying, every branch that bears fruit, my Father comes along with scissors and hacks it down and chops it down to nothing and leaves it there, a bare root that hopefully will one day grow back and start to bear fruit again. He's saying, if there's already fruit manifesting in your life, He comes along and He cleanses, He strips away things that are not supposed to be on your life so that you can bear more fruit. And he says, and you guys are already cleansed. You guys have already been pruned in this way because of the word which I've spoken to you. So it's not the Father looking down and seeing that your life is going amazingly in Him and you're growing leaps and bounds and you're sharing the Gospel with people and you're living out this Jesus life with excitement and enthusiasm and everywhere you go, there's fruit. And so he says, well, I'm just going to whack him down to a little stump. And it's painful, and yeah, it hurts, but you know, it's just a pruning season. No, he looks down from heaven and says, listen, they're bearing fruit, and there's still some things in their thinking, there's still some things in their life that if I remove those things from them, it makes room for even more fruit to be born, for even more things. And that's what I feel like he's calling us into right now as a season, not of him pruning away sin, not of him pruning away bad things, but a season of him saying, that's okay, but I have something better, and if you'll allow me to, I'll wash that away from you, and I'll make room for more of me, and you'll bear even more fruit in your life. 
And the great thing, the amazing thing about him, the thing that just is so hard for me to understand sometimes, is that he won't force it upon you. He'll ask you to open your hand, but he won't force your hand open and rip it from you. He'll ask you to give it, but he won't take it. We play a part in that. And so if there's things in our lives, listen, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I did as a child, I spoke as a child. When I became a, a man, I put away childish things. We, we're always growing up into more of Him, and we're always children, but we're also called sons. And if we're called sons, then we're expected to act like men, like women. And so when we receive this revelation from Him, there's a responsibility that comes in it that we grow up into all things in Him. And so we're constantly growing. And as you grow, there's things that you leave behind. I left my tricycle behind when I got a bicycle. Was the tricycle good for a season? Yeah. Was it wrong to ride the tricycle? No. But was it much better to be able to ride a bicycle and go a whole lot faster and go places I couldn't go on the tricycle and be able to keep up with other people? What are you laughing about? (laughs) Patty still rides a tricycle. But you know what I'm saying? It was like, was that a bad thing? No, it was actually for a season of my life. It was all that I could do. I was learning. I was being trained. I was growing up into things. I was developing motor skills. I was developing the the ability to actually be able to handle the next thing. But then I got a bike and I left behind the tricycle so that I could actually ride the bike. I couldn't do both at the same time. I couldn't ride one and the other at the same time. I had to actually leave one behind to step up onto the next. And there's things in our lives, there's things in all of our lives, you guys, that were okay for a season and maybe even good things that were training us up into things. But now that we've stepped into a new season, now that we've stepped into more revelation, into a greater place of knowledge of Him, some of those things get left behind as we step into what's next. Sometimes it'll be friendships and relationships. Not that you abandon people, but there's certain people that for a season might have been okay for you to hang out with. That as you grow in the knowledge of Him, you start to realize every time I'm around them, it's not that we get into sin. It just doesn't bring me any more closer to Him. It's not that we sit around in blatant sin. It's not that we're doing things that we shouldn't and violating our consciences. But it's just not fruitful. How many of you know that those people may have been a whole lot better for you to hang out with than the people that you were living in sin with for a time? So you went from a season where you were living in sin with people and you guys were encouraging each other on in sin and you were violating your consciences and doing things together that you know you shouldn't and then you stepped away from that and you found some new people that you were hanging out with that didn't do any of that stuff. But after a time, you start to realize it's not really profiting me anything. And it's time for me to build new relationships and start to surround myself with people that are actually going after Jesus and encouraging me into more of the Lord. And not that I abandon those people. I encourage them along. But I have to understand that sometimes I have to choose between staying where I am and going where God's called me to go. And that doesn't make me a bad person and it doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes me disobedient if I don't obey. See, I feel like as we grow in Him, it becomes so much less about is it sin or not? Like, if you're, having to, if you're having to honestly ask yourself if what you're doing is sin, just don't do it. 
Because what you're saying is, I'm not 100% sure this is the heart of God. In fact, it may be something that Jesus spent his life for. If you're even considering that Jesus possibly shed his blood for you to be free from it, it's not good. It might not be an outright sin, but I promise you it's not profitable and it's not for you. If you're having to ask yourself that, like if you're really debating doing something and trying to figure out where the line of sin and not sin is, run. If you're in a relationship and you guys are trying to find the line of how close you can go without getting into sin, run. Because I promise you, you've already done things that have violated your conscience and you've already done things that you didn't think that you would do a few months before that and you're getting closer to doing things that right now you think you would never do. Because that line, I'm telling you, it's that ladder thing we talked about a few weeks ago, right? 20 feet seems really high up the ladder when you're standing on the bottom rung. But you one by one climb one foot rungs. And suddenly you're at rung number 19 and 20's right there. And you would have, when you were at the bottom, looked up and thought, I would never go that high. But now that you're standing on 19, it's not that far of a step to get to 20. It's just little compromise. It's just little things that violate our conscience. It's just little things that may not in themselves be sin but they're not compelling us and propelling us forward into more of Him. And He wants, I believe the Father's heart is for us to not have this is it sin or not line that we decide what we do, but is this the best for me, Father? Is this Your plan for my life? Is this something that You're proud that I'm doing? Is this something that You spent Your life so that I could become full of You and engage in this activity, Father? Is this what this is? Because if it is, I want it. If it's not, I don't. Because every minute that I give this, I'm not giving to that. And that is better. Because that's where you are. And it's not like a legalistic, don't don't hear this in a a do, don't do, don't do that thing. It's a growing up into all things of Him and growing up and maturing in who He he is and and becoming more like Him. That's, you know, the goal of our instruction is to become love. The goal of our instruction is to become like Him. The whole reason we have the Word is so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus who is the image of the unseen God. That's the whole goal of salvation is that you become more like Christ. There is no other goal behind it. The whole goal of of our salvation is that we become what we were always intended and created to be in the garden before man's sin, which was sons and daughters of God living in relationship with Him, loving and being loved and walking in this earth, having dominion, taking authority over and subduing all the things that weren't God. It's never changed. It was always the goal. Eternal life. Putting it off to well, one day we'll go to heaven. Listen, Jesus said this is eternal life, that they would know You, the one true God and the Son whom You sent. Eternal life begins the minute that you realize that you have a Father who loves you that sent His Son to die and you make Him the Lord of your life because then in, those in Christ will never die. Though they die, they will not die. We just step from this, which is a false reality, into the true reality of Jesus, of God, of heaven, of being with Him in the physical That's the goal. It's not so that we can get our names written in a book and then go back and cut out things that are obviously wrong, that are the the biggies, 
and then see how close we can skate to that line the rest of our lives and still know that one day when we die, we go to heaven. That is the most miserable life ever. ever. Because you're too saved to enjoy sin, but you're too carnal to enjoy salvation. It's miserable. It's like a man. That's why God said, look, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. This is Jesus writing letters to the church. We don't talk like that in church a lot of times. Well, Jesus would never. Oh, Jesus would. He did. He said, look, you guys are lukewarm. You haven't even made up your mind. You're trying to find balance. You're trying to... We were never called to live a balanced life. If the scales are supposed to be so tipped towards Jesus that it's ridiculous that when people look at us, they actually see Him. It's the reason why they wanted to kill Stephen is because they hated Jesus and they saw Jesus in Stephen and so therefore they wanted to kill Stephen. Jesus said this. He said, listen, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. If they would have loved me, then they would love you. But because they've hated me, they'll also hate you. In other words, your life is going to look so much like me when I'm done with you that they're going to hate you because they hate me. That's the goal. That's the standard. That's why we're born again. So that we can represent Jesus to the world. So that people can, we can say confidently to people, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know the problem is? A lot of people think they've seen the Father because they've seen Christians. And what they've seen is such a mutation. And that's not to scold us or to beat us up. It's to encourage us. Listen, If Jesus said that and said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you, then Jesus had every intention of you being able to represent the Father well in this life. And that it wouldn't be a burden, that it wouldn't be a struggle, that it would actually be the greatest joy of your life because He said He'd give you the desires of your heart if you delight in Him. Delight yourselves in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, when all you want is Him, the things that are in your heart will look like Him. Your desires will look like Him. It won't be this life of struggling and trying to do the thing you should and not do the thing you should and all that. It'll actually be this life where the greatest joy of my life is to get up and do the things that He's placed in my heart because I love Him, because I know Him, because I want Him so badly. That's, that, that's why Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden light. There's a yoke and there's a burden, but it's a joy and it feels like a pleasure because we actually understand that we're being linked to the One who makes it possible. So if you're in a season where you're bearing fruit, don't duck. Don't be afraid. Don't look for the shears. But, but if He said it, then it's true. So we should probably expect it and maybe even open ourselves up to it in this way. Father, I see the fruit of Your love working in my life. I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I see that every day I'm becoming more like You. And I'm so thankful for You working out out in me and working righteousness in my life. Father, I want to open myself up so that You can cleanse me of anything that's hindering me from bearing more fruit. What if we beat Him to the punch? What if instead of waiting for Him to come and say, I take that away. I want to give you this. What if we actually just went to him and said, Father, I know there's more and I know there's probably things in my life that you want to take away to make room for more. I'm opening myself up. Speak. It's done. I want to hear you. I want to know. I want to look more like Jesus at all cost. What wouldn't God do with a heart that was yielded and surrendered like that? 
So he said to the disciples, you are already cleansed. That it's the same root Greek word when you see it. They split it into two words because one means one thing, one means the other, and one was talking about flowering, and so pruning makes more sense in that in an earthly way. But if you boil them down, it's the same root word, and it actually means to remove things that are harmful to make room for things that aren't. It means to cleanse. When you wash your hands, you wash everything that's not supposed to be there off. If you wash them too much, you wash off things that are supposed to be there. But when you wash your hands, all you're doing is saying, there's things on my hands that don't belong here. You're not chopping your fingers off. You're not destroying your fingers and cutting them off and saying, there, everything's gone. That's not what God's doing. He's not chopping off your fingers to get rid of the mud on your fingertip. It's just cleansing away and washing away the things that aren't supposed to be there, revealing and leaving behind only the things that are. All right, on to Galatians. Because I think they tie together. Um, Turn over in your Bibles to Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And um, we're going to read through 7. This is Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. And he's explaining some fundamental things of salvation to them. And is everybody okay this morning? Yeah? All right. You guys are just really quiet. It, um, it's okay to laugh in church. God, you're not, God's not going to smite you. Um, and, and it's okay to, if, if I ask a question to just honestly respond to it. That's okay too. Um, because I, we don't feel like you should adopt a special behavior when you walk through the doors of a building we call the church. That It doesn't fool people and it definitely doesn't fool God. I promise you, I, I can guarantee you, the Father looks down on Sundays with a puzzled look on His face a lot. Going, what are my kids doing? Like, if I came home and my kids were dressed in a different uniform and were, like, marching around the house doing things they never did, that, that you know, one, two hours of, of every week on one certain day, I would look at them and be like, what are my kids doing? Why are they acting this way? That's not, what, stop! I never asked you to do that. But I bet God just looks on Sundays a lot of times and scratches His head. It's like, I... They look familiar, and I know who they are, but I don't know what they're doing. Listen, he sees you Monday through Saturday. He's not fooled by two hours on Sunday, no matter how good the performance is. You know the freedom in that is he saw who you were and thought you were worth the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So you can relax and let that all fall away and just be the person that he created you to be. In fact, if you actually would just relax and allow Him to change you, you'll be more like Jesus than you ever were when you were trying so hard on your own. Alright, so Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir to God. This is one of those verses where we get, is Jesus in your heart from... One time I was... Showing my son Jackson my new bow, and I shoot it, and I, I deer hunt. And, uh, and he says, where do you shoot the deer, Dad? And I said, I showed him. And 
And he said, well, why do you shoot them there? And I said, well, because that's where the vital organs are and they die quickly. And, and a lot of times they don't even know they've been shot. And, um, and they're really easy to find. And we eat the deer, we use the deer. And um, I know you guys buy your meat from the grocery store so no animals get hurt. But, but we hunt them. <laughs> and... Uh, and he said, he said, well, what are, the, what are the vitals? He didn't understand vitals. I said, well, that's where the lungs and the heart are. And he said, you shoot him in the heart? I said, yeah. He said, no, Dad, don't. I said, why not? He said, because Jesus could be in there. <laughs> he did. So I explained to him about deer not having a soul. I know. Then he watched all dogs go to heaven, and we had a whole other talk, right? <laughs> But it says that, that <laughs> it's true. If you want to make dog lovers really angry, tell them that dogs are not going to heaven. Then prepare for a fight. Brace yourself. I'm ready for you after church, just so you know. <laughs> Whoever you are. Now, so Paul's writing this letter, and, and what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, that... As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from a slave, although he's the owner of everything. So, so this is what Paul is explaining. He's saying, listen, when the son of a wealthy family was born into a home, he would be taken care of by the nannies and the maids of the home who took care of the children. And they took care of everybody's children. They took care of the children of the slaves. They took care of the children of the wealthy people. They took care of the people that owned the home's children for a time. And so for a time, they were all taught the same way. They were all brought up the same way. And they were all considered the same. They thought the same. They did the same. They acted the same. If they wanted something to eat, the son of the slave and the son of the owner went to the nanny, the maid, and asked for something to eat. If they were thirsty, they both went and asked for something to drink. And they were brought up this way in the elemental way. But then there came a time in every one of their lives where the son who was an heir, the son of the owner of the home, would find out who he was. He would be brought and he would be taught, you're different. There's something different about you because of who you are. You actually own all this person that used to ask for something would go and get you a drink that you own. And though you asked her, she really had to because of who you are. Because you're my son. Because we own all of this. And all of a sudden, this whole new way of living would have to be taught to the child. See, because they were brought up in the same way as the child of the slave. They were brought up in the system of the world. They were brought up, they thought the same, they acted the same, they talked the same. Everything was the same. And then one day, they were told, actually, you own all of this. And this is who you are because you're my son. And this is what belongs to you. And this is what you're entitled to. And this is who you are. And this is what your life will look like. And suddenly, everything they thought they knew up to that point had to be replaced with the true knowledge of who they really were. And Paul says, this is exactly, he's giving them an example. And he's saying, this is exactly what happens with us, you guys. 
that, that for a time we're trained by the world. For a time we think with our logic and with our reason and with the way that seems right to a man. Every one of us were schooled by this world. You learned from a young age things that actually are not true, but you were taught them by the system of this world. And so you learned that if something seems too good to be true, it's not. But then the gospel is the, is the most amazingly too good to be true thing, and it actually is true. If some, there, nothing in life is free. How many of you were taught that from a young age? That nothing in life is free. If you want something, you've got to earn it. Pay for it. Earn it. Yeah. Everyone's, you're being taught that right now. Everyone's taught that. And then along comes the gospel and it says, actually, if you want to be born again, there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to pay for it. You can't work hard enough to receive it. All you can do is simply receive it as a free gift. And see, that logic starts to confront what we were born in and what we were taught under. And that's why as we grow in, in Christianity, the important thing is, is that we are actually being transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you turn to... Uh, to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, he's saying, listen, up to this point, everything that you learned was based on your experience or was based on what life taught you. And so you started to develop ways of thinking and patterns of thinking based on what you were taught by life and by experience. But now there's a truth that's come and you're no longer being conformed by the world, but you're being transformed. In other words, you're no longer being pressed into a mold to look like everybody else. You're actually being changed from what you were into who you are by the renewing of your mind. And every time we receive revelation, it brings with it the ability to actually renew our minds and change the way that we think and change the way that we live because the way we think is the way that we'll live. It all starts with the way that we think. And so you were taught this, but now that. That's why Jesus was always saying, you say, but I say. You say, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've been taught, but I say. You say, I say. Why? Because what Jesus said often confronted what the world was saying over and over and over again. So, a good example of this would be, okay, naturally speaking, when somebody hurts you and betrays you, what is the common response? What is the approved response in the world? Get back at them. Get revenge. Cut them off. Never trust them again. Maybe never trust anyone the way that you trusted them. And, and, and people do this. And listen, we get hurt and, and things happen. And, and some people will say, well, the, the way to, to never get hurt is just never have any expectations. That's a load. Because belief brings expectation. If the only way that I don't have any expectation is if I don't believe you. If I believe you, then there's an expectation. If you say, hey, let's get lunch next week... Um, we're going to go to Laureata at 12 o'clock on Thursday. If I believe you, then I'll be there at 12 o'clock on Thursday, and I would expect that you would be there too. 
I wouldn't just show up there and if you didn't show up, be like, well, I mean, you know, I just don't have any expectations of people. When you get married, there's an expectation because of the vows that you make that the people will do what they said they did. Having expectations is fine, it's healthy, and it's a good thing because it shows that we actually trust and believe the person that we put the expectation on. What isn't okay is for them not meeting our expectation to be the reason that we're not okay. Is for unmet expectation to destroy us and change us and transform or conform us into the image of this world. And that's the goal of unmet expectations in relationship is to make your hard heart and to close it off so that you actually can't love people and you can't be loved. And so in the world, if something happens like that, we say, well, I'll just never trust anybody again the way that I trusted them because then I'll never get hurt again. And listen, we do this, we put up boundaries. Well, I'm going to have a boundary now. What we're saying is, I'm now only going to allow you to come this close to me because from that distance, I trust that you can't hurt me anymore. I'm never going to let you in close enough to hurt me again. I'm never going to let you in close enough to be loved by me the way that you were again either. See, that's the problem is that any wall that keeps out hurt also keeps out love. Walls don't specify. They keep everything out at a distance. But the natural way of thinking, the way of this world, is that when somebody hurts you, when somebody betrays you, you put up a boundary, you put up a wall, and you close off your heart, and you say, I'll never let someone get that close again. I'll never trust them again. I'll never do that again. And that sounds so right. And you know what? You can get counsel in this world. You can read books that will teach you how to do it effectively. You can read books that will teach you How to keep yourself from being hurt by people by putting up boundaries and by limiting their access to your life. You can. But then you could also read a book that says this. In John 13.1, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out into the world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water in the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. kind of interesting that the word points out that Jesus already knew what was in Simon's uh, Judas Iscariot's heart and then he got down on his knees and he washed his feet anyway see that kind of confronts some earthly logic and some earthly wisdom because if you know that he's going to betray you why would you lower yourself to washing his feet why wouldn't you shun him why wouldn't you cut him off why wouldn't you not give him access See, that way He can't betray you. That way He can't hurt you. And He doesn't deserve to be loved by you. How could you love Him when He's about to betray you? Have you how many people have ever washed someone's feet before? It's a humbling thing for the person that's doing the washing and for the person getting their feet washed. It's lowering yourself down. It's saying, I will lower myself and stoop down so that the dirtiest, filthiest part of you will be clean by my sacrifice and by what I'm doing. I'm going to do that for you. Especially in their day where they walked around with sandals or no shoes most of the time and their feet were constantly getting covered with muck and with dirt. They didn't have roads like we do. Their feet would be filthy and they'd be covered with all this stuff and they a lot of times probably smelled. 
just to be honest. And Jesus, can you imagine it? Here's Jesus. Just think about this. Like, picture this in your mind and tell me if this lines up with the logic of this world. Jesus looks at Judas and he knows that already the devil's put it in his heart to betray him. He's looking at Judas and he knows he's going to betray me. He's going to sell me for 30 pieces of silver. 30 measly pieces of silver is all it's going to take for him to betray me. 30 pieces of silver, he's going to betray me. I love you, Judas. I'll wash your feet. I'll kneel before you and serve you, even though I know that in your heart, you've already determined that you're going to betray me. That's a whole lot different than somebody actually betraying us and us deciding after the fact, well, I'll never trust them again. That's where we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and begin to think the way that God thinks and begin to actually live the way that Jesus lived. I was driving in my Jeep this week and this, this I don't know if you call it a fear, but this weight came over me. And it was that people are actually listening to you and determining what they believe in part based on the things that you teach them. And that you're going to give answer as someone who gives account, as someone who watches over their souls. And this weight came on me, and it wasn't like a terrifying, scary thing, but it was a feeling I can only, I can't describe it. But it was just like, oh, we have to get this. See, because there's a danger. We can sit and we can, and you know what? There's so many things, right? We could give so many examples where the life of Jesus contradicts human wisdom, logic, and reasoning, right? There's just so many ways that the kingdom is so backwards. That's just one example. I use that because honestly, I feel like betrayed relationships destroy people's lives more than anything on this earth. There's so many people walking around hurt and offended when Jesus came to die so that they could be free from hurt and offense. There's so many people who have a score to settle with people. There's so many people that live in bitterness because of things done to them that they had no control over and that they're holding on to. And there's so many people whose lives are defined by the things done to them rather than what Jesus did for them. There's so many relationships that are just destroyed because people aren't actually living out the truth of what we find in the Gospel and making Jesus the example. And there's a danger when we hear something like this that we can say good message or we can do a Bible study and say that was a good Bible study or we can read a book and say that was a really good book and we have the knowledge of what it says but it doesn't actually enter in and affect the way that we live our lives. Revelation is supposed to bring transformation. If not, it's just knowledge. Paul said knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Why? Because if all it is is knowledge, all it will do is make us arrogant and proud to the point that we already know these things, but we're not actually living these things. And now we're actually immune to it because whenever we hear someone talk about hurt and offense and laying down our lives for other people, oh, we already know that. We can finish the sentence for them, but yet it hasn't manifested into our lives and it hasn't become part of who we are. And we don't actually consider Jesus when we're living our lives and acting the way that we act. I saw it in my own life. This 
past week where I, I gave into a, a, an old way of thinking for a couple of days and just held on to some rights and some stuff like that and some anger and stuff. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm actually, there's no way. I went in a, and asked the person to forgive me. I said, I, I could never have done that if I was thinking about Jesus in the moment. I could never have lived that way if the revelation that I have of Jesus Christ would have been what was in my mind and in my heart if what was what I was fixing myself upon. I could have never acted that way. And I just don't ever want to see us hear messages, do Bible studies, read books, and have a bunch of knowledge, but live or walk around with our lives looking the same as they did before that came because the goal of revelation in your life is that you're being transformed into Jesus. It's the whole goal of our instruction. And I'm not saying this like in a condemning or I'm not saying this in a, in, a, in a mean way, but I am saying it's not okay to simply allow knowledge to accumulate but a life to look the same as it looked. It's not okay for the things that Jesus said to be nice ideas or nice goals, but not actually become the way that we live. It's not okay to say, wow, that's amazing that Jesus would love Judas even though he knew he was going to betray him, but I will cut people off if they ever betray me before they even get a chance to again. I'll cut them out of my life. I know Jesus washed the feet of the person who betrayed him, but I'm not him. No, but you're called to be him. You're called to be like him. As the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. There's so many things. This is why we have to know the Word and read the Word and allow the Word to become real in our lives and actually change the way that we think and be transformed as our minds renewed and so that when we start to think the way that we used to, we stop it right there before it becomes an action. We say, wait a minute, I can't think that way anymore because truth has come. There was a time where I thought it was okay to respond to hurt with hurt, but now that I see that love doesn't do that and I see that Jesus didn't respond to me doing things to Him in that way, I can no longer be okay doing that to people. And I have to have a kind word that turns away anger rather than repay anger for anger. Why? Because the Word tells me that. Because it's becoming my reality. Because I'm becoming more like Him. Not just learning more about Him. I have to become more like Him because that's the whole goal of Him giving His life and dying and put His Holy Spirit inside of me. It's not so that I can finish people's sentences and so that I can spout off a bunch of stuff and have an answer for everything. It's so that my life actually looks more like Jesus than it did before I learned that information. Because that becomes revelation to me and it actually changes the way that I live my life. And I'm being transformed every day into the image of His Son because of the knowledge that has come. God said it, my people perish for lack of knowledge or because they've rejected the knowledge as it was given. One of two things, either I don't know it or I'm rejecting the knowledge that I've received if my life isn't looking more like Jesus. You guys, we... the biggest danger we have is we become hypocrites. We become people who say one thing with our mouths, but with our hearts are totally different. 
It's why Jesus was so harsh towards the Pharisees and had the things he had to say about them. Why? Because with their lips they praised him, but with their hearts they were far from him. In other words, when they were in front of people, what they said sounded so much like Jesus and so good and so pure and so true. And as soon as they weren't around in front of people trying to impress them, their lives looked nothing like the words that came out of their mouths. If the world would see Jesus live through our lives, the gospel would be attractive to people and it would be something they would run to rather than something they fight against. If we could stand in front of people and say like Paul, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and be perfectly okay with people saying that's what God looks like, the world would want what we have. Jesus said the things that I do, you'll do, and greater things because I go to the Father. We get bogged down in an argument about what the greater things are. Well, how about we just settle for the things that He actually did and trust that if we're walking after Him and seeking Him, we'll do the greater things as He leads us into them. Instead, we get in an argument about what the greater things are and we abandon the fact that He said the things I do, you'll do. I'd settle for just the, just the things He did. I'd be okay with that for a starter. Once we're seeing all that flowing, then we can start worrying about, okay, what are these greater things? But I'm saying we should probably worry about doing the things that he did. And we, we a lot of times boil that down to miracles and supernatural and healing and all that stuff, which is all part of what Jesus did. But another thing that Jesus did, and the first and foremost thing that Jesus did, was he came and served and laid his life down for other people. He said, the things that I do, you'll do if you believe. But then we're competing and we're trying to get ahead. We respond to our harsh words with harsh words of our own. and Instead of a soft answer turning away wrath, we give a wrathful answer that excites and incites more wrath in people. We pride ourselves on our ability to argue people into a corner. We walk away feeling like we won and they feel like you won. never forget the first time my wife did that to me we were arguing and she said okay you win you would think that would feel good until you're looking into the eyes of the person that you love more than anybody in this world and there's tears in them and they say you win are you happy now When we do that, you guys, if we're not careful with our lives, we'll just we'll argue, we'll win, we'll be right, we'll condemn, we'll point out, we'll do all these things, and we'll, we'll win the argument, we'll win the day, we'll win the moment, we'll walk away feeling proud, and we leave somebody on the ground feeling like they lost. Jesus had every right to do this with Simon. He had every right to look at Simon and say, how dare you let me wash your feet when you know what you're going to do? Instead, what was he saying to, or I'm sorry, to Judas? What was he saying to Judas? He was saying, Judas, I love you. 
And one day you're going to remember that I did this for you. And one day you're going to realize that I was the Son of God. And you're going to understand that I was God made flesh. And in that moment, you'll realize that I washed your feet while I knew what you were going to do. And you'll understand what love looks like because I looked up into your eyes knowing what was in your heart and washed your feet anyway. One day you'll know, Judas. I don't have to prove anything right now. Why do we have to win? Why do we have to prove anything in the moment? Why don't we just love people and trust that one day they'll understand, that one day they'll see that we weren't in it for ourselves, that one day they'll understand that somebody actually loved them enough to step out and take a chance with no strings attached and nothing in it for themselves and never ask anything of them. And one day that love will come crashing down on them and they'll understand what love looks like. So, I'm saying all this to say this. Stop arguing on Facebook. No, I mean it. It's funny we laugh. Stop arguing on Facebook with people. Stop arguing on Twitter. Stop arguing on internet discussion boards. Stop having to be right. Stop having to nitpick and correct everything. Stop. Start loving. Jesus sits with the woman at the well. Sits down next to her and says, Woman, where's your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. He says, You've answered correctly, but you've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Why does he point out that she answered correctly? Why doesn't he call her a liar? Say, liar? You have five husbands. And you're thinking about it again. It's because he actually didn't care about proving her wrong in the moment because there was something he wanted her to receive. And if he would have sat there and called her a liar and accused her and told her about who she was and how horrible she was, she never would have received what he had to offer. So instead, what does he do? You've answered correctly. The man you're with right now isn't your husband. I'm not going to quibble with words with you. You've had five. The man you're with right now isn't your husband. So you've spoken correctly. Now let me give you what I came to give you. If we're not careful, we get caught up in saying, oh, liar, you've had five husbands. What do you mean? We quibble over words if we're not careful, and then people can't even receive the very gift of life that's within us, the living water that's supposed to flow forth from our bellies. Stop, you guys. You don't have to prove people wrong. You just have to love them. People will listen to what you say once they understand that you really do love them and care about them. No one has ever been won into the kingdom by an argument. Many people have been won into the kingdom by being loved. We got so much more. I wish for I pray. You're a son. You're a daughter. I'm just going to close up with this. There was a time where you could think like the rest of the world. There was a time where you were taught by logic and reasoning and understanding and experience and all those things that the world's taught by. But then the day came where the scales were ripped off of your eyes and it was exposed to you who you really are. And because you understood I'm a son, I'm an heir, and you started to realize I am not like the rest of the world. I'm actually different. 
there's something different about me. I'm called to a different standard. I'm called to a different place. I'm called to live differently. I actually have all this place before me. Everything is mine this whole time. And now there's a new way of living that has to be learned. There's a new way of living that has to be, an old way of living that has to be forgotten and unlearned. And we have to, you guys, we have to get rid of any old thinking that would tie us to the way that we were brought up when logic, reasoning, experience was our teacher. We have to. Because it's not okay to just know things and not be changed by them. It's not. Look at our lives. Be honest with ourselves, you guys. I want to beat on this pulpit right now because I'm trying, like, I don't even know how to express it strongly enough. But we have to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, am I being changed by the revelation and the information and the knowledge that I have? Or is it just useless knowledge that's stored up in my head that makes me immune to actually being changed? Because when someone starts talking, I already know that. so frustrating sometimes watching my kids because I'll try to explain to them how to do something and they're, they're doing it the wrong way. It's going to lead them into something that is a mess. And I'm trying to show them and I'm telling them, hey, let me... No, I know how to do it. And you're looking at them and you're going, no, you don't know how to do it. If you did, you wouldn't be doing that. But they're so convinced because they have some knowledge in their head, but it's not actually translating into what they're doing with their lives. And I'm looking at them and I can just imagine the Father looking at me saying, hey, let me show you how to do it. And I'm telling him, I know how to do it. I already know. I can finish your sentence for you. And he's probably thinking, Roy, but if you actually knew, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And I look at my kids and there's grace. Obviously, there's forgiveness, and when they make a mess, I come along and I clean it up and I show them the right way, and then I watch them do it the wrong way again sometimes. I clean it up and I show them the right way. But when they actually know it, they begin to do things differently. And that's when it actually changes their life and changes the way that they live. Read the Gospels and just ask ourselves, do our lives look like that? If we find places they do celebrate, if we find places they don't repent, change the way that we think. God, I just I thank you for your for your word. God, I just ask that somehow through my rambling, Father, that your heart will be heard, that you just long for us to become everything you created us to be, God. God, that we would never be a people that just collect information that just get so puffed up with knowledge, God, but that we would be people who would actually allow our lives to be changed by what we know. God, that our way of thinking would be so changed as we look and we see Jesus and we model our life after Him. That we would never again find ourselves able to be destroyed by other people, God, but that we would actually be able to love people. God, that even if we knew someone had evil intention in their heart, that we could still find it in our hearts, God, to humble ourselves, get down before them, and love them and serve them. Even if they meant evil. Even if they meant bad. Even if they had betrayal in their hearts, that we could kneel before them and serve them and love them, God. God, I just thank You for stirring up a hunger for holiness and righteousness, God, that we would want to be so like You. 
that we want our lives to look so much like you, God, that we wouldn't hold on to tricycles when you're offering us bikes, that we wouldn't hold on to bikes when you're offering us cars. God, that we'd be thankful for the season that we were in, God, but we'll be thankful for the season we're heading into. And we'll let go of everything behind to press forward towards what's ahead. I thank You for who You are. I thank You for transformation. I thank You for lives that look more like Jesus today than yesterday and more like Jesus tomorrow than today. In Jesus' name. Amen.